Welcome to the 42nd episode of the Animal Riot Podcast, brought to you by Animal Riot Press, a literary press for books that matter. I'm your guest host today, Katie Rainey, and I am super excited because I finally get a chance to sit down with Bob Ramonda. Is that how I say your last name? Bob Ramonda. Ramonda? Okay. All right. Close enough. We've known each other for a little while over email and stuff couple years, yeah. but never met in person until last year. Last year, last fall, maybe? Yeah, some It some was time. gloomy, yeah. <laughs> it was gloomy. Yeah. We finally met in person. Absolutely. And now I'm excited that we get to sit down and have a conversation. Yeah, I'm so pumped to be here. Um, before I officially introduce Bob, I want to say that today's brand of fuckery is brought to you by self-care. Brian isn't here tonight because he needed some self-care tonight. The last several months have been pretty full and tough and rewarding and just a lot for us. So he needed the night off. Bob, what do you do for self-care? I, it depends on the day, but I tend to just drown myself in food and (laughs) television. Yeah, I know. But I've found, I've been watching a lot of Parks and Rec. It's comfort. There are specific comfort shows that I have, like The Office. I can watch three or four times a year, depending on like how depressed I am. But then I find I get into a cycle that gets even more depressed, and I have to like shake myself out of watching those shows, like waking up and watching Parks and Rec or something like that. I force myself to like wake up and read instead. Yes, because it can make it worse. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's it's having to break that cycle of like that being the show I'm watching versus like watching something new that I can mm-hmm. engage with and mm-hmm. be excited about and like read criticism of rather than just like Michael Scott again <laughs> at infinitum because yeah because you can literally watch those shows over and over again you're like oh okay here's friends I'll yeah. do friends again that's yes. a terrible one to watch over and oh, over again. yeah yeah we're falling asleep to that right now and it is such a bad show. <laughs> it's so bad it really is all right Bob Ramonda is a writer based out of New Rochelle he New Rochelle New York his work has found its way into quail bale Quail Bill. Say that five times fast. Quail Bill. I even said that to myself as I was putting your bio into this before. Quail Bell Magazine, Peach Magazine, Syndicated, Potluck Magazine, and Yes Poetry. In early 2015, he founded Breadcrumbs Magazine, an online literary and arts journal that fosters creativity and collaboration through shared inspiration. We will talk so much more about Breadcrumbs. The project has grown into a community of over 200 contributors across the world in a wide variety of mediums with more submitting all the time. That's exciting. It's over 300 now. I haven't updated that in a minute. Yeah, that's my own fault. Well, we've had over 300. I hosted it in New York so far. That's We kind of started at the same time. Yeah. In 2018, he helped co-found Rogue Dialogue. You're not making any of these words easy for me. Quail Bill, Rogue Dialogue. A production company focusing on podcasts with Christy Donato and Adam Raimonda. Is that your brother? Mm -hmm. Awesome. Their first show, a sci-fi audio drama called Windfall, launched in February of 2019. Wait, yes, that's we're in 2019. (laughs) We're almost not, but we still are for now. I was like, wait, February's coming up. And then I was like, nope, that'll be 2020, Katie. (laughs) With two more shows in active development, Rogue Dialogue aims to create richly sound designed content in a variety of genres. Welcome, Bob. Thank you so much for having me. And we're releasing this on Thanksgiving Day. So what are you going to be eating while you're listening to yourself on the show? I am going to be eating a tryptophan coma amount of turkey and stuffing <laughs> and all the other fixins. Yeah. 
Nothing so, super specific. So you're not a vegetarian? Uh, my girlfriend's a vegetarian, so I eat primarily vegetarian mm -hmm. at home, but her family is not vegetarian, and I am not either. So if I'm going out to eat or I'm with her family, then I'm eating all the meat. What does she eat at Thanksgiving? So we actually cook stuff for her separate every year that I eat as well. So this year we're doing a roasted carrots with tahini and a vegan zucchini gratin, okay. um, which I'm pretty excited about. It looks really dope. This is inspire um, me. I'm a vegetarian. Are you? So yeah. I'm always like playing around with things. I, I was charged this year with bringing the stuffing since... I don't Ooh. want turkey juice in yeah. it. Yeah, understandably so. Yeah. Have you ever used Minimalist Baker at all? Mm -mm. So that's a vegan. Well, she's not vegan anymore for dietary reasons, mm -hmm. but she was vegan mm -hmm. and she still posts vegan recipes. But we, it's like all of her stuff is usually like 10 ingredients or under and okay. less than an hour to prepare. And she's got a huge like Thanksgiving roll up oh. of like entree side and dessert ideas that she rolls okay. out. Out. used to be yearly now i think it's just like one that she has since she's not strictly vegan anymore All but right. there's a ton of recipes on there that are really great okay this episode was brought to you by minimalist baker <laughs> yeah now, absolutely i want to meet someone who's made a tofurkin like I a turducken <laughs> yes. but it's like i even forget it's like what tofu it is. satan satan however you say that yeah. and satan something <laughs> else but i don't remember what yeah, I don't. I don't either. It doesn't oh, it's, sound um, very appealing to me. Uh, what's the tempeh? I'm assuming. Tempeh. Yeah. I'm usually just not. I don't eat a lot of those fake meat in general. They're pretty bad for you. Yeah. Oh, they're terrible. Yeah. I think there's this common misconception that like. I tell people that Sam and I eat vegan food a lot and they're like, oh, you must be so healthy. And I'm like, you don't know the vegan places that we're going because it's all just like mm -hmm. delicious garbage junk food that you shouldn't be eating. Yeah. It's just not made with meat. Yeah. Yeah. It's real easy to eat shitty as a vegetarian. Yeah, it really, really yeah. is. Especially like when you go out with people when it's like, okay, the only thing vegetarian on this menu is fries. I guess I'll eat a basket of fries. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so this will be out on Thanksgiving Day. What We're, are you doing for Thanksgiving? Oh, we are going to Brian's parents' house, in which I will be making a vegetarian stuffing, Very apparently. Very nice. And, yeah, we're driving on Thanksgiving Day, because I don't fuck around with Wednesday yeah. before Thanksgiving, no. getting out of New York. Forget no, that. No, no, no. Sam's sister lives in Westchester, so mm -hmm. it is a 15-minute drive oh, there and a 15-minute drive home, and it is so easy every year. So are you originally from New York? I'm from further upstate. Okay. So I grew up in a town called Herkimer, which is like halfway between Albany and Syracuse in the middle of New York. Okay. Yeah. We were just up in Rochester and Niagara recently, visited Niagara Falls for the first time. I love Niagara Falls. The town itself. No, not the was town. Oh, oh, the underwhelming. <laughs> no, the town is terrible. The town is. I was like, wow, extraordinarily this underwhelming. Sucked up all the resources <laughs> yes. in this town. Yes, no, it's very sad. But the falls themselves are nice. They're beautiful. Yeah, yeah. We did a lot of. We took the dog. Did a lot of walking around. It was yeah. great. But yeah, the town itself. We were a oh, little it's like, just sad. oh. Yeah, yeah, I went. We went for the first time. We did with breadcrumbs, which we'll get more into all this. But we did a small press book fest in Buffalo, and I think mm -hmm. it was their tenth year, and I think it's their it was their last year, unfortunately. But it was a really awesome event, and because we were in Buffalo, we were like, might as well just go to Niagara. It's yeah. only another forty five minutes. Yeah. And driving through that town is just like, oh. 
this is a place where time forgot. Yeah, yeah. We were in Rochester, which is a pretty cool town. Mm-hmm. I really liked Rochester because I was there for work, and then we just zipped over because I was mm-hmm. like, well, neither one of us had ever been. Yeah. Let's go visit. It was fun. I mean, we had a good time. Speaking of which, okay, do you know what Rainforest Cafe is? I do. Okay, we had never seen a rainforest cafe, and Brian was feeling a little down the first night we got there, and we just stopped to eat somewhere, and I was like, this place looks ridiculous. Let's go in here. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And we walked in in the middle of a thunderstorm going on with all the animals going crazy, and Brian turned into like a five-year-old kid and started running around with his like phone videotaping all the animals. Everything, of course. Yeah, and sending them to all of our friends. And then we come to find out that that's like a chain, and everybody knows about it oh yeah i definitely grew up going to like one in florida when i'd go to disney as a kid i've yeah had never been yep brian ordered everything safari on the menu oh, of course he even got you this like to. monkey smoothie mug thing of from course. there so it was a good time we'll start patronizing rainforest cafes it hey, seems- were you did you ever go to and you know i don't know what years this year this closed but it was like a similar experience um in manhattan called mars 2112 no oh wow it was such a weird weird little pocket of my childhood that we'd go to like every time we'd visit the city where you go on it's like the ride it's like the star wars ride at disney world where you go uh-huh. in and they're like moving the room around so you're like going into a spaceship while oh you're God. waiting to go inside and then the other door opens and it's like a basement restaurant and everyone's dressed up in like alien clothing and there's just like ufo memorabilia everywhere and it was just so weird and i was obsessed with it growing and it up it's gone now i don't think it's around anymore what's it called mars 2112 okay. we got a we got to get a live report here. We just, I got to know. Mars 2012? 2112. 2112. I was about to say, they're a little out, maybe close in 2012. <laughs> yeah, a little, little outdated now. It looks like it might still be open. Oh, it's still there? Whoa. Oh, no, I want to Oh, go wait, back. no. No, gone? Space tragedy. Times Square tourist trap Mars 2112 is dead. Yeah. <laughs> That's yep. it. That's a headline right there. Yeah, that was a weird, weird place. Oh, damn. Man, I would have liked to go there. Gone there. Anyway. Okay, so so you're going to your sister's in Westchester for Thanksgiving. That's exciting. Yeah. You're going to just take off a couple of days and chill yeah. out. What self-care things are you going to do this weekend? I am going to try to read. I haven't done a lot of reading this year. What are you reading right now? Nothing right now. I know that for my birthday, my best friend picked me up the Fleabag Scriptures book. That's all the scripts of Fleabag with Phoebe Waller-Bridge's notes on every one of them. That's supposed to be showing up today or tomorrow, I think. And then Sam for my birthday, Sam's my girlfriend. I don't know if I've said that already got me a book called Movies and Other Things or something like that. And it's just a bunch of personal essays about weird pop culture questions that I've been wanting to tear into. Love it. But yeah, I haven't done a lot of enough reading this year. Well, cool. Well, you're so you're from upstate. What's the town called again? Herkimer. Herkimer. Yes. Okay. What's the literary scene like in Herkimer? There. I. Okay. So 
we had an open mic at a place called Diane's Cafe, which absolutely does not exist anymore. Oh, you're that telling was me all, all these like, great places that are just gone. No, I mean, I don't think there's much of a scene there anymore. This is, the Herkimer's not a place I go to very often anymore. Neither of my parents live there anymore, but that we would do open mics and it was like a lot of acoustic guitar stuff, but people would do poetry too. And I definitely did some poems way back in the day. Other than that, it was just some very specific mm-hmm. teachers that were influential on yeah. me on like being interested in that, if not so much a, a, you know, community there. I'm from Little Rock, Arkansas. So I get that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Which we actually just hosted the first ever artist salon in Little Rock. Oh, uh, that's awesome. At the beginning of November, I was down there. So we decided to branch out and include all artists. We had a bunch of visual artists, some writers, and we even had a mermaid. Ooh, how long were you there? I was just there for a week, and we were doing this performance, and it was it went off really, really well, the whole event, and I think they're going to keep going. We've got a team. That's awesome. Yeah, we got a team of people down there who are really jazzed about it, because there are no, like open mic spaces and things like that down there really everything comes from like the institutional like you know arkansas ballet mm-hmm. or the robinson theater things like that but there's no like diy mm-hmm. you know spaces like there are here in new york so we we're trying some of it out and it went really well and so i think we're going to keep keep going there that's so exciting but yeah so wait what brought you to new york City? so i went to school in westchester at suny purchase for undergrad And then I moved to Ridgewood, Queens for a few years after graduating in 2012 and then ended up back in Westchester, I'd say 2017. So I've been back there for a few years now. I lived in Pelham when I first moved to New York. I loved it. Yeah, Pelham's a great little town. Yeah, I was going to Sarah Lawrence and so just... I was actually supposed to go to Sarah Lawrence for my MFA, Oh yeah, but I ended up not doing it. Yeah. Did you do an MFA? I didn't. I didn't. It was, I was just looking at the financial aid documents and thinking about the fact that I had just paid off my undergrad Mm -hmm. and kind of decided maybe not this year, like maybe in the future, but not this year. We've talked about that before on this podcast. Like you don't, no one needs an MFA. You do it because you want the community and space and time to write. And like, I met my thesis advisor and we're publishing his book, David Hollander in May. I met David Hollander at a summer seminar at Sarah Lawrence a couple years yeah. ago. Great guy. Oh, yeah. I was really excited when I found out you were publishing his next book. Oh, yeah. I was on yeah, the phone with I him s- today talking about his book cover. That's awesome. <laughs> That's so exciting. Yeah, I heard him do, I don't know if it's an excerpt from this, but I heard him read a few excerpts at that of, of Works in Progress. Yeah, I might. It probably, was it super weird? Maybe had robots in it? No, this one was also weirdly super personal for me because Mm -hmm. it had mentions of a New York Central Rail train. It was like a little boy riding a train and that is the... When it gets uh, derailed? Yes. That's part of his book? Okay, yeah. Yeah. So that was the railroad company that my grandfather worked for. I actually have a New York Central Rail train tattoo. So I showed it to him that day. I was like... Aww. This was super, like, you just hit me today. <laughs> well, there you go. It's going to be in the book. That's so May. exciting. I can't yeah. wait to read it. Yeah. Well, anyway, yeah, that's, I, I wouldn't trade my MFA just for that reason, for meeting him. And we had a lot of great teachers there. But also at the same time, like, you're so involved in the literary community here that you don't, you don't need an MFA because you're getting everything that you would basically in an MFA. I mean, constant teachers I've met out in our community and, and, you know, just building that community that you would get in an MFA. And you started Breadcrumbs, which is like 
the best way to get involved with the literary community is just like starting your own thing. So let's talk about breadcrumbs. What yeah. is breadcrumbs? Breadcrumbs is a literary magazine that I started because of a panic attack that I had. Oh, as all great things do. So I had graduated, like I said, SUNY purchased in 2012, and I told myself at the time that I could take a year off of writing. I had taken a, I had worked for my whole senior year and a little bit the year before on a series of personal essays. I was actually, we didn't have a, a creative nonfiction major at Purchase, but one of my professors got me really into it and allowed me to do my senior thesis in that genre instead. And so it was like really personal writing that like took everything out of me. Mm. So I was like, I'm going to take a year off of writing. I'm moving to the city. Like I'm going to have to figure out how to be that kind of person. Yeah. And then one year really quickly became three. Yeah. Like so fast. And it was okay for a while because I used to play music. I don't anymore, but I was in, you know, a couple different bands at the time. And it was, that was like scratching my creative itch. But what do you play? I play bass and guitar. So the last band that I was in after six months, we had played a show. We actually made some money from the first show. Not a lot, but a couple hundred bucks for a first show was pretty exciting. And then our singer, like two weeks later over text, was just like, I don't want to be in a band. And that was that. Damn. And so I kind of spiraled for the rest of that year and was just working. I worked at a company called Essence Digital. And that sounds made up. They were a super data driven marketing agency <laughs> that our primary client in the New York office was Google. Mm. So I was working for Google, specifically Google Play, right around the time of the Sony hack when the interview oh, was yeah. released on Google Play instead of in theaters. And I was just like, it was it was Christmas time. I was in charge of like these obscenely large media buys and just not having a great time there uh-huh. and not doing anything creative. And it was just really bumming me out. So actually I had a panic attack one day sitting on the bed at my girlfriend's parents' house And I just, the idea hit me. I was like, I need to build a portfolio because I want to start getting my writing out there. I want to try to get jobs writing or just like build a community again for my own sanity. And I knew if I tried to just do like a personal blog, A, no one would care because I wouldn't care. I wouldn't be excited to do it. And I would give up on it really quickly. So my whole idea behind it was to not only empower myself to do work that I had spent all this time and money, you know, cultivating and like trying to get better at and also encourage all these other people Mm -hmm. that I knew from undergrad to do the same who I knew were all in very similar situations that I were. It was so rare that any of us was doing anything professionally, anything remotely to deal with, you know, the art careers that we had dreamed of. So I started just emailing and Facebook messaging everyone I knew and sending them a Google Doc. So it was before I had a website, before I had a URL, before I had a name, I just had this Google Doc. And I was basically just like, I wrote a couple pieces and I was like, the idea is that we'll, you know, we'll just write work inspired off of each other's work. Mm -hmm. And once there's a working website, it'll link backwards and you'll be able to kind of follow the trail of inspiration back to the beginning. And really it was like, a writing prompt for me in the beginning. And so like my original challenge myself to myself was to like write something inspired off of every piece that we published, which worked for That's not very long, but 
it was a lot. But, you know, by the time we had like, I don't know, like 15 pieces, what I did was I got us a Squarespace and I just started publishing them while I was still finalizing the look and the feel of the website Mm -hmm. because I figured there was no way that I could launch it and explain to people how it worked unless we had a back catalog so you could actually see the demonstration Mm -hmm. of like how that inspiration flowed backwards. So we had our official launch after our eighth post was published so that people could click through a little bit. And from there, it really just snowballed. We've done so many different types of projects. We had a podcast for a while where we'd have people perform their work and we'd release little trails. So pieces that had inspired each Mm -hmm. other and we'd have those together. But my brother is also a sound designer. So we do, Mm. um, we do light sound design and light score to just sort of like try to elevate it a little bit. And yeah, it's been really fun. We've done readings all over. We started in at Pete's candy store in Williamsburg, moved to cake shop in Manhattan before that closed. And then now we've been doing it at sister's, in Crown Heights. So people can, how they submit is by picking any piece Mm -hmm. and writing something inspired. So it doesn't matter, like if I'm a fiction writer and I find a poem, I can write something inspired off that poem. Absolutely. And I think uh, there's some confusion sometimes when people submit, I think they assume that they have to go off the last one. And sometimes I get that question Uh, is like, does it have to be the last one? And it's like, no, I have I have like six months of, yeah. you know, backlog out ahead of you. So even if you did off, you know, this most recent one I published, it's it not like be. it would be the next one yeah. coming out. So yeah, really people are encouraged to just go as deep as they're interested to kind of see all the different types of work and Art they're that we've all published. linked to the one that they're inspired off exactly. of. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And some are actually inspired by multiple. So they have multiple little oh. hyperlinks at the bottom. So you can kind of take different paths. So that's part of the submission. Are you guys through submittable? No. Yeah. Who can no. afford it? Just, just, yeah. Couldn't afford it. Yeah. So Us it's either. all just email. <laughs> yeah. So they just have to say which pieces they're inspired by. Exactly. So we're, our submissions just closed for the rest of the year, but they'll open back up in January on the 15th. Oh, good. So you do a really cool thing where you have a lot of guest editors. Yeah. So I just started that this year, actually, because I will get more into this later. But because of launching our podcast, Windfall, Mm -hmm. that was really taking up so much of my energy. Yeah. And I didn't want to see breadcrumbs go away. But Mm -hmm. I didn't really have the time to be reviewing all of the work anymore. I still run our, you know, Facebook and Instagram accounts. I still do all of the, you know, administrative work of actually putting the work into the website. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I've just taken to reaching out to writers that I admire and asking them to solicit work from people that they know, which has actually really helped because we were getting to a point where it was a lot of people were submitting like it was the same people submitting, which yeah. I love. I have no problem, you know, publishing the same person over and over and over again. But mm-hmm. I was kind of, I felt like I was reaching the end of my network yeah. that yeah. I didn't really, you know, couldn't bring in new voices anymore. And yeah. that was something that's always been so important to me from the beginning. 
So are people, how do they become guest editors if they're interested in that? So right now it's been, this year has been the only year that I've done it. Our first couple times it was just one editor per genre. And I reached out to people specifically that mm-hmm. I wanted to work with. And there's still a degree of that. But I'll also usually post just from our social media accounts and my personal social media mm-hmm. accounts that I'm looking for people and have people send me some of their clips and let me know why they want to join and, and yeah. take part. And then I pick from there. And usually, you know, I now it's it's this most recent one, we did three people per genre, which was great. It's built even more mm-hmm. of a backlog than before. But I tend to really like so many of the people that are reaching out so that even if I'm saying no to you this time, chances are yeah. on our next, Later on. you know, mm-hmm. on our next run, I'll have you come take part what are the social handles for bread count so it is there it this frustrates me to no end because there (laughs) is somebody who had a food blog in maybe 2014 named breadcrumbs mag that got all the just breadcrumbs mag handles so on twitter and instagram we're breadcrumbs underscore mag Mm, and they won't give him up but they're nope. not doing anything with Nope, them. not at all. They haven't yeah. posted in years, but I've tried to petition both sites to, you know, have the handle relinquished to me, but it hasn't happened. Well, I know I get asked all the time by people who just move here or even in other states who are like kind of, they're writers and they're just kind of trying to break into the literary scene at all and without like going to get, you know, interning at a literary agency or something like that because who wants to do that unless you want to go into publishing you know yeah and I'm constantly like you should just reach out to these magazines and say like I want to be a reader or I want to do this for you people need the help because yeah and I'm I'm going to start probably asking for even more help in the next year like trying to get a you know a social media manager Mm -hmm to shoulder some more of those burdens from me. So there will be more opportunities, especially in the new year with breadcrumbs specifically. So definitely keep an eye on all of our handles because I'll announce those opportunities as they come up because I'm definitely looking for help. And I'm happy to work with people that are, you know, new and don't have a ton of, you know, credits to their name. Yeah. I'm just happy to work with people that are passionate and want to be a part of the community. And it's a really quick way to like get in your, your foot in the door with multiple literary magazines or just different people in the community and like start getting your name out there and getting to know people because that's like the quickest way to get published anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, what about Windfall? What is Windfall? So Windfall is actually inextricably linked to breadcrumbs. Okay. So I'll go back to our very beginning. My my brother, as I mentioned, is a sound designer and a composer. And we ran a podcast for breadcrumbs. But before we even launched our podcast, every 25 pieces for the first, I'd say, two years of the magazine, we were doing short-form audio drama Mm -hmm. so like radio play style i had become very obsessed with fiction podcasts welcome to night vale specifically welcome to night vale and then there's there's a show called ars paradoxica that i really love and we're alive you would like not to interrupt you but you have to check out episode 38 of our podcast i think it's episode 38 called under the shroud with ian humphrey okay he 
has a podcast called Under the Shroud that you would really, really like. Awesome. I yeah. will check that out yeah. and I will check yeah. him out. I'm always searching for fiction podcasts specifically. Yeah. He does um, an incredible job. That's awesome. Yeah. I love I love the the medium in general mm-hmm. because it's you're able to do so many exciting things yeah. with sound design and storytelling. Like, for instance, this I'm getting on a tangent here, but the show that I was listening to earlier this year called the AM Archives, they actually had they had deaf characters signing in sign language, oh, cool. and they were able to convey it like incredibly. And the the wild things that people are doing in audio story storytelling are really nuts. So there were people signing in the room and then people speaking there and like interpreting for them, but like you could hear them signing and they were working with deaf actors and it was an awesome, awesome, awesome episode. So regardless, we were really interested in that kind of work. And, Mm -hmm. you know, my brother really thought he could, sound design it and and score and I knew that I could write it and we had made a a really close friend named Josh Rabino who was working at the Apple store in the Westchester mall with my brother who was just an incredible impressionist so our first piece is just about this trucker and he's sending notes to his sister on a tape recorder and he just does this real Sam Elliott voice and it was super fun and then we kind of got bigger and bigger from there. Our hundredth piece actually was a collaboration between 14 people. So we had seven actors. My brother contributed original music. A friend contributed original music. Then we had a bunch of artists do art of each of the main characters of Mm -hmm. the the short. It was like a 25-minute piece that I co-wrote with one of my co-founders, Dan Toy, who's a wonderful guy. And that was so exciting. But my brother the whole time was really hounding me and saying basically like, we need to make a serialized show. Mm-hmm. We, need, we need to make something bigger and, you know, larger and, and specifically huge because mm-hmm. so much of the audio fiction space, especially at the time, was using these – they were using narrators mm-hmm. and they were using – formats where it was you had a reason for why it was only audio it was archival footage or found footage Mm -hmm. or or a podcast within a podcast which is wonderful and i love but we also were just like let's make something that's like massive with a ton of characters and just trust people and so it took us a while to come up with the idea but my girlfriend sam actually said to me why not argus Argus is a character that I had been writing about for Breadcrumbs since the beginning. So Breadcrumb number 11 is the first story I ever wrote about this character, Argus, who's one of our main characters in Windfall. So I can read later. And um, even before that, actually, Breadcrumb number 5, there were Wanda and Tin Man, who are also central cast members of Windfall. And it was all sort of surrounding this concept of this alien world where a castle has appeared floating on a cloud in the sky. And it's just sort of hovering over this huge skyscraper to Metropolis. And I just wrote a bunch of vignettes in this world from different characters' perspectives. And so I had no real clear idea when Sam said, why not Argus, what that would look like. Mm -hmm. But I just started brainstorming and looking at these individual pieces that I'd already been writing for over a year and thinking about ways that they could start coming together in in a large cast format. So I spent 
the year it was August to August of 2016 to January 2017, where I wrote 10 episodes just totally by myself. I'm not a big outliner. The the most outline I did was I'd taken a TV writing class earlier that year. And so I broke out each episode's A, B, and C plot. So just mm-hmm. a sentence for what each major plot of each episode would be. And then I just wrote it. And I had known that I wanted to work with other writers to refine the story Mm -hmm. because it's just, it's so vital to have someone else's perspective and opinion on where the work is going and where it it can go. So I actually at our, one of our last readings at Cake Shop before Cake Shop closed, Christy Donato, who we mentioned earlier, had approached me. She was a friend of mine from college. We didn't know each other super well, but we were both fiction majors. So we had a Mm -hmm. few classes together and she had been publishing with breadcrumbs from the beginning. She had read it a couple readings and she let me know I'm burnt out on New York. I'm moving back upstate. I don't really know exactly what I'm doing with my life, but I'm going to have time. So like, let me know how I can be involved with any of these Mm -hmm. projects at all. And the first breadcrumb that sort of became the climax of the season was inspired by the first piece Christy had ever written. So I was like, it's really interesting because I'm working on this whole thing that's tangentially inspired by the work that you published. So like, would you be interested in like coming in and just helping me edit Mm -hmm. this you know, 10 episode fiction podcast. So wait, the climax you're talking about. So you have one season out. Is that right? One season so far. Okay. And so the climax that when did you air that? That was in July, July 10th. It was our final, our season finale. Okay. Yeah. And so when will you come back on? So we're right now finishing up the scripts for season two. Then we're going to launch an Indiegogo in early 2020 because we're hoping to pay our actors Mm. this time around. We did not get to do that the first time around. We did pay for everyone's travel that came from here. Some of our cast was from New York City. A lot of our cast was from a local theater community in Syracuse where we recorded. Okay, you're recording up in Syracuse. We recorded up in Syracuse at Christie's house. So she had, she's got a three-bedroom house. She had a spare bedroom that was empty at the time. So my brother had a lot of recording equipment. He bought some more mics so that we could record Mm -hmm. up to seven people at a time. We had 10 microphones set up in one room and then we had a control center in the room right across the I say hall but it's literally just like the opposite end of the stairway and so for a week we recorded with 25 actors oh my god it was 40 hours of recording recording and you guys all just take time off work yeah yep we took a week off of work We paid for anybody's travel that came from New York City. We put all of them up because that's my dad lives not far from there. My sister lives not far from there. Christy's parents live not far from there. So we just, everybody was on couches. Everybody was in, you know, spare bedrooms. And it was really like a summer camp experience. That's awesome. We fed everybody two meals a day. And one of my brother's best friends from college used to work in marketing for the Oma Gang Brewery. Uh And they donated 10 cases of beer to us. (laughs) So we had everybody fed, drunk, and happy for the (laughs) entire week. So we couldn't pay anybody. But our hope now that we have a little bit more of a following and there's a little bit more of a fan base that we can start opening that up because we'd like to 
show everyone that we appreciate the time that they've given and the passion that they've given to this project that is so clearly just a passion project of our own. Wow, you guys really do have a little production company. It sounds like a movie you were making. Yeah, it was was recorded all. It was very... uh, All of our call sheets were very specifically trying to respect everyone's time. So it wasn't at all recorded in chronological order. Mm -hmm. It was recorded based on who we had on what day. So each day was kind of like different characters, full plot arc. Who made all these charts? Um, My brother. My brother. Who's the AD on this thing? (laughs) He he did that. So I helped a little, but he did. He's the one that figured out which scenes would have to go on which day in order to. It's a pretty big juggle. And it took weeks to, to figure it out, to, to have it so that I think the long there, there was one cast member that had to be there on four separate days, mm-hmm. but in we had a principal cast of sixteen characters, and then like I said, there were nine other actors that came in throughout that week, and then throughout the course of post production, we added another twenty five voices mm-hmm. um, from remote recording, so it's fifty voices overall in the course of our wow. season. Granted, like at least ten of those are just like background crowd walla to make it sound like you're actually in a space full of people Mm -hmm. um, that aren't named characters with real lines. But we worked with a ton of people and it was really like an insane, huge undertaking that once we got into the post-production of it, we were like, oh wow, we should have done something (laughs) much, much smaller. Yeah. But I wouldn't change the thing. I'm I'm really incredibly proud of it. I love that. That's so inspiring right now. You're like, I can't wait to listen. It's, I'm... I love it so much. I I couldn't the when I started hearing the audition files of people reading Christy and I's words, mm-hmm. um, that's something we went on a tangent. Christy originally came in just kind of as a beta reader mm-hmm. and became really a co-creator on the project. Mm-hmm. So we rewrote the entire thing together through Google Hangouts. We'd meet once a week. We each took ownership over individual characters. So we'd talk about an episode as it was. We'd divvy up the scenes, talk about what we thought needed to change about those scenes, Mm -hmm. and then split up and and write our individual scenes. But then by the time we got into the third and fourth draft, we started just each editing the entire episode. So Mm -hmm. by the time you get to the final scripts, I know which characters I owned, and I know which characters she owned as far as Mm -hmm. like their overall arcs. But on a sentence-by-sentence basis, I'm not sure who wrote what anymore because of how much we edited it. And it's like the most gratifying process that I've ever worked in. Like if you had told me in undergrad that I would rather work with someone else on a writing project than work by myself, I would tell you that you're insane. But it was so awesome that what you're talking about just gets me so excited how many episodes is it it's 10 episodes so they're all from like 20 to 30 minutes okay yeah i'm excited to check that out yeah i'm super pumped we're doing we're doing 12 episodes for our second season and we have another show that we have produced we we have not moved into post-production yet so we recorded all of the episodes. It's a six episode series. We wanted to do something on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. So whereas Windfall is this very dystopian science fiction, mm-hmm. like lots of world building show, our new show Forgive Me is like high maintenance, but with a Catholic priest. So every episode is, oh is two tops, three people, and it's just a different person in confessional each time. So we wanted to go from Hilarious. big giant thing that took forever to do to, to much smaller things. 
something that could be done on a yeah. much quicker scale. Yeah. Well, you got to do that. Yeah. We, have you guys got any press from it, AV Club or anything yet? We tried to get into AV Club, didn't get into AV Club, but we did get written about. There's a there's a wonderful group of folks called Bellow Collective. Bellow Collective is this wonderful group of um, podcast critics that are building a really incredible and vital community, especially for... It's not just fiction podcasting they cover, but they are really doing so much to uplift that community because unless you have Night Vale budget or you're you have like a Hollywood budget like some of these projects that are getting you know famous stars or you're made by Gimlet which is great work and I'm excited about it but when it's more like what we're doing and it's more indie and you're Mm -hmm. just trying to get the word out there yourself it's super exciting that there are people actually giving this work the time of day so they've written about us a couple times and we did go to there was a fiction podcast festival just a couple weeks ago oh that was in Cambridge Massachusetts it was the first of its kind called pod tales okay it was awesome so basically these these guys that make a show that I really love called Greater Boston were approached by Mice, which is Massachusetts Independent Comics Expo, because they had, it was their 10th year, and they had booked an extra venue just in case, and they didn't need the space. So they reached out to, to these folks to see if they'd be interested in doing something mm-hmm. fiction podcast specific. And overall, there were, I think, 130 exhibitors. So Whoa. we had tables. I had We had enamel pins. We had posters. We had stickers. But then there were also panels. So my brother was on one that was about environmental and science fiction, like sound design, mm-hmm. and another that was about composing for podcasts. And then I was on one about social advocacy through fiction podcasting. So we were well represented there, and that was awesome. And I've really just found like a huge community of people just through like Twitter, honestly. Yeah, the podcast community is huge. It's massive. Yeah, you get a lot of podcasters listening to each other's podcasts, so it goes, yeah. Absolutely, lifting each other up. The fiction podcast community specifically has something called Audio Drama Sundays, where everyone will tweet with that hashtag about what they're listening to or Mm. what they're making. And so I really like made it. The reason I, I mentioned earlier that I hadn't really been reading this year, and the reason being for that was because we were releasing Windfall. I wanted to listen to as many mm-hmm. podcasts as physically possible. Yeah. So my goal for the year was a thousand episodes, and I'm at almost thirteen hundred now. Whoa. So I blew past that. Granted, there there is a huge explosion of like microfiction in yeah. podcasting as well. So some of these episodes are like three to eight minutes long. Okay. <laughs> so it's like it's not like I'm listening to like thirteen hundred hours of content. Yeah. But it's been a lot and it's been really awesome. And so every Sunday I'm tweeting about everybody that I'm listening to yeah. and that I'm passionate about because, you know, that's the the easiest way to to build and become part of a community is to oh, support yeah. other people. Yeah. I've We've found. hosted several of the other lit podcasts out there on this, on this podcast, Amazon book club, fiction, nonfiction, all those folks. It's been really, really great. Well, what about your own work and going from collaboration to talking about your own work? What Absolutely. You- so this year, because it's been windfall focused, mm-hmm. 
my only real writing this year has been on our scripts. We are on our fifth draft of the season. It's 12 episodes. It's almost 350 pages that we've been working on all year long. So that's really been this year has been totally podcast focused. Last year, I did do way more. Mm-hmm. writing in my personal work because we were in post-production on our show. So I didn't really need to be writing the second season yet. And I don't know how to do any of the audio editing or the sound designing or the composing. That's all really in my brother Adam's wheelhouse. So I really had this wide open space of time for myself. So last year for National Poetry Month, I wrote a poem every day and I which was like new for me because I spent so many years like not engaging with poetry at all. Mm -hmm. And now I've really re-fallen in love with it again. And I was also at the same time working on a series of uh, micro fiction, like flash fiction vignettes that were sort of like post-apocalyptic birthday parties. So it was Mm -hmm. this, this one woman over the course of her life just on her birthday and like the things that she's doing in this post-apocalypse. But the whole idea with that was that it wouldn't be like this like Mad Max, like big, massive mm-hmm. action packed. It would just be very mundane. Like, yeah, some, you know, bombs have went off and there are mutants and two-headed dogs yeah. and like the world is real weird, but like she's just out there trying to get some cake for her birthday. Where is that published anyway? I've got a few of them published. I was actually trying to pull some up today, though. The the most recent two got published at a magazine called Scarlet Leaf Review. Two more were published on Gravel Magazine, although okay. I was looking at that today, and it looks like Gravel Magazine is down. <laughs> so those links don't exist anymore. And then the first one I did was at Fiction Southeast. Okay. Other than that, it's been my most recent publications have been poems that I wrote in April for National Poetry Month are slowly getting published. I want to do that again this upcoming April Mm -hmm. because that was a really great challenge for myself and I was really excited about the work that was made for it. But I just have been so focused on the the podcast that I haven't gotten to my like more literary work. Well, do you have anything you'd like to read? I do. I am going to read one of those post-apocalyptic birthday parties and yes. then one of those poems. Sounds like exactly what I want to hear right now. <laughs> awesome. This first one was in Gravel Magazine. That link is dead, but it's called Eggs. Okay. All over the country, after everything's gone to shit, there are two seasons, nuclear winter and hellfire. The thing about it is Rooney's grown up without knowing much else. She's too young to remember what white snow looks like anywhere other than in cartoons, has never had the extreme satisfaction of stepping on a dead leaf in the fall just to hear the crunch it makes while it disintegrates, has never had to wear a light jacket in the spring or felt a cool breeze ever, really. Somehow, though, she still manages. Right now, she's living in Oklahoma. Don't ask her how she got here, because she won't tell you if you try. Don't even ask her what she's doing because she's not going to tell you about that either. What she is going to tell you about is eggs. (laughs) Oklahoma is inland enough that it was spared most of the brunt of the blast. The pavement here, though craggy and uneven from a lack of maintenance, is still mostly whole. And the reason this is important is eggs. Rooney loves eggs. Fried eggs, scrambled eggs, poached eggs. You name it, she's plucked one straight from the chicken's ass, wiped off the few remaining feathers, and cooked a damn fine meal with it. 
What she's never done is taken advantage of the extreme heat of the still water noonday sun and cooked one on the pavement. After a particularly heavy morning of drinking bathtub gin, Rooney raids the coop behind the house she's been renting a room in. She takes three eggs and stuffs them into the pockets of her baggy shorts and heads out into the town square. Her new best friend, Hippolyta, who's had three less glasses of gin than her and is, therefore, the sober one of the bunch, pipes up. You're wild, girl. I'm telling you, you can't do it. It's impossible. Oh, yeah? Rooney asks, with the glint in her eye and a look of bullish confidence that could only come from copious amounts of drinking. Just watch. Rooney makes a big show of holding her egg up for the crowd of drunk onlookers to see. The sun beats down and the egg, which is taken on a greenish hue due to the radiation, shines. Rooney produces a spatula from her waistband and gives it three quick taps, cracking it one-handed and reveling in the extra moments it takes to fall to the ground. The egg hits the pavement with an undeniable splat and a hiss. Rooney scratches her nose with the edge of the spatula and burps. See, she asks, what I tell ya? Just because the ground's hot doesn't mean it's going to cook, genius, Hippolyta challenges her. Ah, whatever, you're full of shit. They've only known each other for a few weeks, but they bicker like friends of decades and love each other all the more for it. Hippolyte is the only one who can keep up with Rooney's drinking, and her storytelling, and her constant gambling habits. Hippolyta has a little bit of muty in her, but she can pass for a Hume, and so she does. Rooney doesn't mention it honestly feels that muties get a bad rap and a whole lot of blame for a biological situation that they have no control over. Just all got born in a place that was too close to the blast is all. After a few minutes, most of the onlookers have stumbled back into the bar. They're used to how quickly their eggs are cooked at the one diner left in town. But Rooney's patient and Hippolyte is stubborn as hell. Rooney gets down on her hands and knees to inspect her handiwork carefully uses the spatula to free up the edges of the egg white so she can pick it up without breaking it. She likes her yolks runny. All right, all right, the egg's cooked. Next round's on me. Now can we go back inside? It's hotter than the devil's blood tit out here. Rooney gives her friend a passing glance before bringing the egg up to her mouth and opening wide. Tell me you ain't really going to eat that thing. She takes a giant bite, straight into the yellow, letting it break and ooze down her face and drip onto her collarbone. She lets out a satisfied, mm, mm, mm. delicious. Hippolyta rolls her eyes. You know, I was going to buy you the drink whether the egg cooked or not, don't you? Always do. Rooney smiles, savoring her road-cooked treat. Takes a second to spit out some of the pebbles and other detritus still sticking to the bottom of it and says... Yep. That's that one. That was the end? Oh, yeah. damn. <laughs> That's I was, that I one. was in. Thank so you. There's some more. I, give me one second. I am going to pull up a poem that I think I may have read, actually. But oh, cool. It's one of my favorite ones. I published it last year on Philosophical Idiot. And oh, I've never heard of them. They're great. And this is one of the poems that I wrote last year in National Poetry Month. It's called Your House is Full of Potato People and Little Baby Bugs and Rugs. <laughs> I walked in my old front yard today. It wasn't ever really my yard. It was just the park across the street, but it still felt like coming home. 
There was a flock of ducks in that liminal space between the outfield of the baseball diamond and the corner of the soccer field. There had to have been at least 50 of them, all huddled together like they were having a very important business meeting. I tried my best to respect their space, but I had to take a video to show all my friends. They walked en masse in the other direction, and as they noticed me following, took flight simultaneously, moving 50 feet to my left, close enough to remain on their own turf, but far enough away to let me know that I was not, could not, be a part of their very important business. Because, you know, I'm not a duck. Bob is making faces while at me while he reads these. <laughs> it's great. Yes. You're a very good performer. Thank you. Thank you. That I mean, that comes from having done breadcrumbs for so long. Yeah. How often do you release breadcrumbs, by the way? Every Tuesday and Friday. Okay. Wow. Yeah, a we lot. had a we last year. I challenged myself to do three times a week, and that was uh, fun, but then exhausting. <laughs> and so that's when it turned into me having to get some guest editors because I really, the well had run dry. Yeah. And so after that all ended and the first guest editors came on, I took a little bit of break where I did not have a backlog anymore. So I think there was like a month Mm -hmm. earlier this year where we didn't publish anything, but it's been consistent ever since and we're booked out to next March. Weekly anything is very hard. Yeah. We we do this podcast weekly, which I just looked because I was like, wait, it's November. We b- did started this last November. Our year birthday for this podcast, November twenty seventh. Oh, so awesome! Wednesday. That's this week. Yeah. Yeah. Happy birthday, so this rabbits! This is our, our first birthday podcast. That's so exciting. Yeah. So thanks for being here on absolutely. Our one thanks for having me. And we certainly, I mean, we have forty two episodes, so we've missed some weeks in there, but that's fine. Yeah. Life, it's there's no one to be you. upset about that but yourself, <laughs> yeah. and that's something that I really had to learn. That was yes. difficult, but like realizing that. That no one's going to be mad at you if you need to take a break like yep. back to that theme of self-care like we're people and yeah. and we don't have tons of ad dollars to be putting all the energy that we're doing into we're making doing this all work this for free exactly and we have to work our full-time jobs on yeah. top of it so yes. but it's really fun when i get to do it and sit here with people like you and i've had a really great conversation today awesome thank you. so have i thank you so much yeah. for having me thanks for sharing your work too and Absolutely. i'm very excited to listen to windfall now you want to shout out all the things that people can go visit you at breadcrumbs and windfall again breadcrumbs is bre- at breadcrumbs underscore mag on the instagram and the twitter breadcrumbs magazine on facebook and windfall is just windfall podcast everywhere Okay. Yeah. And every platform? Every platform. And what is it? Breadcrumbsmagazine.com? Mm-hmm. Uh, breadcrumbsmag.com. Mag.com. Yep. Okay, cool. And then Shorten it just what's a your bit. website? My website is bobraymunda.co. Great. Oh, .co. Yeah, .co. All right. My my dad's first cousin is also Bob Ramunda, and he's a graphic ah. designer, so... He got that he got the sweet, dot sweet dot com. Wow. Yeah. Family yeah. rivalries. Yeah, I'll never get that dot com, but it's okay. He's a great artist. <laughs> well, thanks for being here, Bob. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Okay, that's it for today's episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and review on whichever platform you're listening. You can get t- you can get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Animal Riot Press or through our website, AnimalRiotPress.com. This has been the 42nd episode of the Animal Riot Podcast with me, your host, Katie Rainey, and featuring Bob Raimonda. 
Transcripts for our deaf and hard of hearing animals are provided by Jonathan Kay. This episode was edited by our podcast assistant, Dylan Thomas, and we are produced by me, Katie Rainey. See you later, you filthy animals. Belly.